Felipe Machado here, and welcome to another episode of Teacher Room Talk. My guest here today is Ricardo Barros. Ricardo has been teaching English for 15 years, four of which is a freelancer. He mostly works with teacher training and exam preparation, both online and face-to-face. He holds a BA in History, the CELTA, DELTA, and CPE. We have him here today to talk about exam preparation and the challenges it entails. So without further ado, let's get to the show. So, Ricardo Barros, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Felipe. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. All right. So, uh, I think a good start would be to, to ask you, uh, how did you get into exam preparation in the first place? Right. Um, I think like a lot of people, I, I got into exam preparation because um, the place where, where, I used, where I worked at the time, this was I think 2005, uh, they needed somebody to, to teach a, an exam classes. An exam class and they said oh Ricardo would you, would you be into it and I said sure uh, so kind of by by chance and maybe because I had taken exam exams myself um, but I really did enjoy it uh, and that's why I have been doing it for uh, for such a long time um, and I would say the reason I, I, I like it's twofold the first is uh, I like exams um, I, I'm good at exams I've always been good since I was at school. But more, more importantly, um, a lot of, and this kind of goes back to the first episode of the, the podcast, uh, a lot of the people you get to work with when you're teaching uh, exam preparation, they are uh, very self-motivated. They have a goal to achieve, be it uh, take the IELTS and then immigrate to another country, be it uh, take the CAE and CPE uh, and get recognition at their jobs if they're teachers. Uh, so it's it's I enjoy working with people that are motivated, and generally speaking, that's the case for people that are doing exam classes. All right, uh, you you said that you had already taken exams yourself, and and mm-hmm. you so I understand you were a firm believer in the power of exams, be it uh, to assess or evaluate or even to to encourage people to take a step further. But uh, has it ever happened to you that maybe uh, a future candidate looked for you thinking of a certain certification of a level and you had to actually kind of adjust expectations? Um, absolutely. I would say that's, that's actually very common. Um, so my, my policy, and, and this, is a, this is a question that I, I get a lot, Philippe. My policy is try to be as, as honest as possible with the candidates and, and they will thank you later, you know. Uh, it, this sometimes is hard depending on uh, the circumstances of where you're doing the exam preparation. But I, I find it uh, if you lie to the candidate and, and kind of pat them in the back and said, sure, you can take this exam or uh, I'm sure you can get that, that score, uh, they'll resent you later if that doesn't happen. So uh, I have had people that came to me because what, what happens sometimes is uh, people want to take a exam uh, and they don't, don't they don't know much about it, and maybe they have heard of a certain exam uh, and say, oh, I'd like to take the proficiency exam because that sounds like what, what exams do, right? They test your proficiency without realizing that proficiency is a very high level exam. So you need to kind of inform them that there are different levels for the, the Cambridge main suit exams, etc. cetera. Um, or or for, for instance, if a person wants to take the, the TOEFL or the IELTS, 
and they have a certain score in mind that you think might be difficult to achieve. Uh, and this is not the kind of exam where they can take a different one, right? Because it's a multi-level sure. exam. You just tell them, look, uh, in this time frame, because usually people that come to, to prepare for these exams, they have a very tight uh, uh, kind of deadline, a month, sometimes two weeks. Say, look, in this time frame, I don't think you, you get there. I can help you. I can probably uh, uh, help you increase your score, but I don't think you're going to get there. Um, and, and what happens is uh, people tend to thank me. They Sometimes they, they don't take the exam. They wait a little longer. Sometimes they do take it and they don't get the score they need. So, they, But they come back and say, oh, you gotta realize I need more time to study. So let's do something uh, with a little more time. Um, so I would say that's my, my policy, trying to be honest with candidates. But it took me some time to get to get to this point. I don't think uh, younger Ricardo uh, earlier in my career would have said these kind of hard truths to, to students, you know? I get it. Uh, and and you, you mentioned time frame and you said that more often than not, will uh, future candidates actually uh, look for you with a very, very tight one? Uh, mm -hmm. do, you, do you have like a, a program that you like working with, for instance, okay, uh, I want to work with uh, a certain candidate for at least uh, X amount of hours before I can either recommend it or not, or even uh, how long would you say that it takes to prepare from one exam to another according to your experience and, and et cetera? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the, the, the cop-out answer is it depends, right? Because it really does depend on the candidate. But ideally for... Cambridge main suit exams, um, I like to have between one and two semesters. So for a person who is preparing for the FCE or CAE or, or CPE, for instance, um, I generally would recommend one, two semesters for most people and at least one semester uh, for, for maybe people that are uh, more exam ready. Uh, for people that are doing the IELTS and, uh, or the TOEFL, we rarely ever have this kind of luxury of, of taking an entire semester to prepare for the exam. So I, ideally two months, but it again, it depends on how often the candidates can see you, right? If they're doing uh, an hour a week, two hours a week, three time, three hours a week, uh, and, and especially how much they're going to work on their own. I think uh, students often, often uh, take for granted that learning English is just going to the English school, right? And not doing anything else. Uh, but particularly for exams, uh, working individually, uh, kind of working on their own, doing compositions, doing more mock tests, uh, revising vocabulary, etc., is is key. So the the last time the, a certain student will have uh, face to face to prepare for the exam, the more they'll need to study on on their own. And again, this this is important that you let them know um, right away. I get it. And and uh, do you usually have a, a balance, let's say, between mocks and, let's say, more uh, language work itself? Because a lot of people tend to think that it's all about learning just uh, the skill of the task, let's say. So mm -hmm. how to exactly ace at one. Like there are lots of hints that you can actually share. How do you balance yeah. this? Do you work? Do you mostly work purely on mocks? How does it work with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um I think that's that's an important um, consideration as well, Philippe. It, it again, and, and kind of, I, I sound like a broken record. It depends on how much time you have. So uh, I have had people that came to me and said, "Ricardo, I need to 
do the the IELTS um, next month, or I have had one one student that needed to do the TOEFL in two weeks. Wow! And although in in, in his case we did meet almost every day, there was no time for language work. Uh, I kind of just helped him understand the test, uh, kind of show him what what to do in different parts of the exams and, and show him the tips I, I had. So the uh, if you're pressed for time, uh, the student needs to be at the right level and kind of already have the language. But assuming I have um, enough time, and that's mostly what I do, I, I work a lot with teachers nowadays and, and prepare for Cambridge main suit exams like CAE and CPE. So they, these tend to be more, uh, they have to tend to be, have more time. And, and because they're teachers, they tend to be aware that preparing for, you know, examining a month is not uh, probably the best of idea. And, and then I do much more of, of a mix and, and I try to organize my lessons uh, around the, the exam tasks, but as if they were regular lessons. So for instance, let's say there is a, a part of the reading of a certain exam that you're going to work with. And, and I approach that, that text as if I would approach a text in a course book. So uh, I do a, a lead-in, uh, I do some maybe pre-teaching of vocabulary, uh, I, I do a gist question, then I do a detailed question, then we do a follow-up discussing the question, analyzing more language from the text, and then only then do we end up discussing the exam task uh, uh, and kind of how to approach it and the tips. Uh, because an, an important, uh, uh, some, something that you can, it's very valuable in my opinion is uh, using the, the language from the exam tasks themselves uh, to help the student become a, a, a better, to have more range, right? Because if a certain phrase of verb or a certain idiomatic expression is presented in the in the reading part or the listening part of the test, that means that a idiomatic expression is at the right level. So the student can use that confidently, knowing that's going to cause the right uh, impression on the person who is correcting uh, the writing or who is uh, doing the speaking exam with, with them. So I, I favor this balance between working on language and, and working on exam skills, but that's only possible if you have more uh, if you have enough time to, to do that. So in, in case, if time is short, then you would focus more on exam skills, kind of assuming that the person will work on language on his or her own. Yeah, or, or hopefully that they already have the, uh, the language. Because uh, as, as good as I think this approach is, uh, the one I have just described with uh, having a lead-in and having... Um, uh, pre-teaching and, and follow-up and just tasks and etc. Uh, that that takes let's say an hour to go over one text uh, that during the test the student might have ten minutes to do, right? So you're, you're taking let's say uh, three times as long to to kind of cover quote unquote a text than you would if you're just doing it as if it was a mock, do it correct and discuss the answers. Uh, so I, I think that's time well spent, but if you don't have that time, you just need to present the exam to the student because that's, uh, uh, I would say, it has more value uh, in terms of uh, spending your time. If you only have a, a very strict time, very reduced time, that, that will yield more better results, I would say. I get it. Uh, and let me ask you something. Let's say, for instance, that there is a, you know, one of our listeners here is actually considering maybe, you know, start working 
with uh, preparations for exams and etc. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you uh, what would you recommend? Let's say that it's interesting for you to have at least let's say uh, one level above what the candidate is going after. Do you think this is uh, maybe not extremely necessary? How do you feel about this? Yeah, um, being being an exam teacher. Is, I mean, being a teacher overall is a great responsibility, but uh, an exam teacher in particular uh, is is a big responsibility because exams are very expensive, right? And the students are kind of uh, putting their trust on you that, that you can help them prepare for the exam. So I would agree with what you said that you need to have at least uh, be, be one level more proficient than uh, what you're preparing students for. So let's say if you're preparing students for the FC, which is a B2 level exam, uh, you should be at C1 level and, and so on. Um, and, and more importantly, maybe, so I think this, this is a, a good beginning. You, you have to, you're supposed to have a good level of English. Uh, it's very important that you know the exam. Uh, and by, by that, I mean, either that you have taken the exam itself or, or a similar exam. So for instance, if you're preparing somebody for the, the FC and you have taken the CAE, the exam is pretty much the same in terms of strategy. So that would be um, enough. But um even if you haven't taken the exam under exam conditions, so let's say uh, a student comes to you and, and wants to prepare for the IELTS, which you haven't done. Um, I would say get a mock somewhere. Uh, there are loads of official mocks that you can download for free and do the, the exam in its entirety so that you can kind of get to know what to expect um, and, and know how to help your, your students. And I have a funny anecdote about that. Um, Many years ago, I was in New Zealand with my, my wife and we were taking a, a course. It was a IELTS prep course. And uh, I wanted to, to know more about the exam, which I knew very little. Um, and at that time, I had already taken the CAE and the CPE. So uh, I was confident that I would do well in the IELTS. So the first day of class, and it's one of those classes that you, you uh, arrived there and people had already been taking that class. So we kind of arrived halfway through. Uh, teacher does a, a listening activity and I, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I, listening is my best skill. Uh, I'm going to, this is going to be easy peasy, right? So I'm, I'm very relaxed, very confident. Uh, the listening starts and if you have, uh, if the listeners know, are familiar with the IELTS um, exam, the first part of each paper uh, is very easy. And then the questions tend, they get more difficult as, as they go along because it's a multi-level exam. So the, the first questions of each paper are kind of aimed at lower level students and then they get more difficult um, as you go along. So I was looking at the task and it looked very easy because you have to spell names of people and you have to write down telephone numbers that people are going to say. So I was, I was super confident and, and actually overconfident. What I didn't realize though, was that for the IELTS, you only listen to the, the listening tracks once. Whereas in, in Cambridge exams, you listen to them twice. So it's kind of lazily paying attention to the listening, confident that I would listen to it again and I'll be able to write down the answers. And halfway through, I realized that that's not the case and I panic and I start trying to remember what they had said. Uh, and, and obviously I didn't do well um, in, that, in that mock. So uh, you need to know these things in advance so you can prepare your students for it, right? Uh, if, if I go in to prepare uh, somebody for the IELTS, without the knowledge and thinking that you're going to listen to things twice, 
uh, uh, my students not going to do well. So this this besides the knowledge of English, right, uh, speaking English well and being able to provide a good model for your students, it's very important that you have this uh, the exam skill. So they have gone through the exam either. Uh, taking the exam or just done a mock so you're familiar with what happens and you can better prepare your your students uh i i work for an institution that has recently uh very recently adopted uh cambridge mm -hmm. main suite exams as uh, a goal right for for the end of the course uh -huh, nice. and there's been you know some some there, there's been some resistance from the part of teachers that would consider, let's say, three different things. Uh -huh. So first, are we teaching? Are we teaching English? Mm -hmm. Are we teaching the student, mm -hmm. or are we merely preparing them for exams? Sure. I don't know if, if these questions have ever crossed your mind, uh, but but if so, or even if you know they haven't, like, what do you think of it? Are because there are people that actually ask themselves, like, is it really teaching English, or am I just mm -hmm. preparing a person? To, to sit and pass an exam? Yeah, th th that's a fair question. And there's actually uh, a term for that, which is called the, the washback effect. Uh, so that's the, the effect that a test, uh, a known test that students will have to do at the end of a certain time of study, will have on, on the teaching, um, for instance. And, and this, this can be very simple, not only with Cambridge exams, but in, any tests uh, that you have at the end of a semester, the end of a bimester. So if you know that your students are going to have uh, a test in which they need to differentiate, let's say, the present perfect from the past simple, uh, according to time references, you're going to try to drill that into their heads, right? That if you there's a time reference, uh, you put it, uh, use the past simple, and if there isn't, use the present perfect and whatnot. And that is likely to be negative because rather than maybe trying to get your students to use these time tenses naturally, uh, in, in, in contexts where they, they might naturally appear, you're kind of just preparing them for the test. So there is this danger of uh, a negative uh, washback effect that a test may, may have. Um, I, think, I think it's a difficult balance to strike, but on the, on the other hand, um, if you have an exam in, let's say, uh, the FCE, where at, at the end of um, however many years of study, you'd like your, your students to pass the, the FC. I think that gives you a clear goal of uh, what level I should be aiming at. So what, what kind of language should my, my students be able to use by the end of the course? Um, and, and that, on the other, I would say it's a positive effect of there being a test at the end of, of this. Uh, it really does come down to, Philippe, I would say, how you... Uh, uh, how the lessons are going to change now that the uh, this exam is is there sitting at the end of the course. So uh, are you going to, so let's say this was a school where you had communicative lessons. Are you go, now st going to stop that and have lots of mocks? Then, then I would say that having the test is negative. But uh, if instead you're going to continue to have communicative lessons, but maybe uh, include more language that might come up in the exam, uh, language that's rich and going going to make the uh, uh, kind of stretch the student's range of language, I would say that's a positive uh, measure, a, a positive effect of the, the test. Uh, so it, it can certainly be done, I believe anyway, in a way that's profitable to students, 
But I can also see it being done in a way that just becomes mock after mock and students say, what, what, am I really learning English uh, or am I just learning exam techniques? Exactly. It's just about exam techniques or, or is there any language involved? Yeah, yeah. I get it. Uh, and, and in case of the teacher, let's say, wants to supplement his or her classes, mm -hmm. let's say that this teacher is already using a course book that it's not really uh, task focused or task oriented. Yeah. Uh, how do you think this teacher can actually come up with supplementary material in order to better prepare students for a given exam? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I think there there are a couple of ways you you can do uh, a couple of things you can do. Last semester, actually last year, um, I was teaching a group of of teachers inside the school, and uh, some of the teachers were interested in taking exams. Some of the teachers were not. Uh, and the exams are not mandatory for the, the teachers. So what I did was um, I, I took texts from um, newspaper, newspapers, so the New York Times, the Washington uh, Washington Journal, or the, the Guardian, and etc. cetera, uh, topics that were current topics, topics that I thought the teachers would be interested in discussing. Um, and I, I sometimes adapted those tasks to be more exam-like. So let's say you get a, a, an article online and you transform that into a, a word formation part of the exam. So you remove some words from the, the text, uh, put the root of the word on the right side, uh, and, and the, the students will need to uh, um, change adding a suffix or a prefix to, to make that fit as, as they do in Ease of English Part uh, 3, if memory serves. So that, that's way, one way of integrating things, kind of using a text you already you're already going to use so the text from the course book and maybe adapting it slightly uh, so it looks more like um, an exam task. Um, another thing you can do is, uh, let's say you have a, a, a text in your course book or a unit in your course book that is about films, which most course books will, will have. For sure. Um, I'm sure you can find exam tasks for the FCE, for, for example, that talk about films. So you can have your lesson kind of as you would normally, about films on that day, according to the topic of the book, and then getting an exam task that has to do with the topic of films and use that as homework, for instance. So uh, you're going to integrate that kind of because of the topic rather than the fact that it's an exam. Uh, and if it's a use of English, then there's going to be vocabulary uh, uh, related to films. If it's a reading, there's more uh, uh, interesting uh, um, information about films that students are going to be interested in. Uh, my, my only recommendation would be to do this kind of uh, piecemeal because in a group where uh, the focus is not to take the exam, if you introduce too much exam, some students may complain. They say, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to learn like general English. Uh, and it may feel like you're kind of uh, uh, trying to force the exam down their throats. So kind of do it uh, uh, slowly uh, and kind of a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, or, or for instance, if you have uh, bits of your lesson that are going to be speaking tasks, uh, you, you can make them more exam-like. So having pictures similar to the exam, having questions similar to the exam and, and etc. But be careful not to um, overwhelm students that didn't sign up for a class that was about um, exams. All right. Uh, we talked about uh, supplementary material that we already have, but uh, 
-hmm. You yourself, do you usually work with uh, materials or do you prefer coming up with your own? Um, what, what I tend to do is um, I have lots of, of books um, that are past papers um, and they're basically called Cambridge English and then the name of the exam, Cambridge, Cambridge English First, Cambridge, Cambridge English Proficiency, Cambridge English Advanced. Uh, they tend to have a black cover. Uh, I'm sure the teachers, uh, if teachers are uh, have, have taken exams or have prepared people for exams, they're familiar with those. And they have four mocks um, that have been taken in the past. And then, uh, like I said, I based on those, so th those are real exam materials, I build lessons as if they were regular lessons exploring these materials. So uh, we do the listening, then we look at the script and use the language, or we do the reading uh, as if it was a text, etc. So I like to adapt uh, past papers to make them uh, feel more like um, more more like a regular class, and the students don't feel the burden of doing uh, an exam. But there, there are plenty of good materials, and especially going back to a question you asked me a, a little ago, uh, which was uh, for, for teachers that are going to start teaching exams, I would go for books that offer uh, the answer key and kind of with explanations. So, for instance, uh, these these. Uh, past papers I mentioned are just going to say number one is A, number two is B, etc. But there are other books out there where you can get it's A because of X, Y, and Z. It's C because of this and that. And that's very valuable for somebody that um, that's preparing other people for exams for the first time. When I started preparing students for exams, I spent the most time trying to figure out uh, uh, what the answer why the answer was A, B, C, or in, off, etc. And, and that will probably save people time. There's a, a really good series called, I'm just checking my my shelf here. Yeah, it's Advanced Trainer or First Trainer. That's from, from Cambridge. And, and that's a, a book I would recommend because they have a great answer key, very detailed, and that's, that's a time saver. So I would highly recommend uh, this series from, from Cambridge English. Uh, I have already heard before that many teachers, they tend to be, especially in the beginning of their careers, they tend to be uh, one night smarter, mm -hmm. meaning that sometimes uh, they're, they're the night before they are preparing for something that they actually uh, have to work on the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you said that you, you've always liked exams and you've always done really, really well in exams, yeah. but is there any specific part, let's say, was the reading, the use of English, that uh, especially in the beginning of your career, you tended to be one night smarter? Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Um, so I, I said that listening tends to be my uh, my strongest skill. But I would say earlier, earlier in my career, uh, maybe use of English, I would say. Um, it's something that I was always uh, trying to work on for, for the next day and, and put a lot of efforts into into uh, being good at. Uh, does that answer the question? I'm not sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because okay. I always think it's somehow comforting, especially for teachers who are considering starting working mm -hmm. with this right now, because uh, I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but uh, I think that there are certain things that you're not ready to do until you you decide to get ready to do. And mm -hmm. that's why the, the idea of the one night smarter and et cetera. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, there, there, t 
teaching exam classes may be daunting, uh, depending on, on where you are in your, in your career. Um, but especially if you have taken the, the exams yourself, I would say go, go for it, you know. Um, and, and there may be schools or, or places where there aren't many experienced teachers to, to prepare others for exams. So why, why not you? Um, the, only, the only thing I would say is you need, you need to put in the effort, you know. Um, exam, exam students tend to be very demanding and they are often going to ask you the, the hard-hitting questions, right? They're not going to just accept, oh, it's letter A because it is. They're going to say, oh, but I put, it, I put letter B. Why, why can it be letter B? So you need to be prepared for, for those kinds of things. Uh, and that takes does take uh, time and, and effort. But uh, my, my advice would be go for it. Uh, it. It's much like, it's going to be a funny comparison. It's much like being a father. You, you, you don't, I'm, uh, Felipe knows, but maybe the listeners well, that's, don't. That's actually, that's actually, that's an, that's an awesome comparison. I, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's an awesome comparison. Sure. Right? Yeah, so <laughs> I have a two-year-old. And my, my wife and I uh, thought a long time about having children and we never thought we were ready. And then finally, we're starting just to get too old to, to have children and decided to go for it. And I don't think it would have been much different if we had uh, decided to, had, to have children maybe a few years before because uh, you're never really ready for it and, until you start doing it. And then you kind of uh, have to learn by doing. And teaching exams is, is similar to that in a way. You have to get your, your hands dirty and, and start somewhere. So uh, if you can choose, maybe start with a lower level exam because the, the English barrier will be uh, uh, smaller. So you're probably going to be, it's going to be easier for you to find out um, answers of things and to justify the answers. Uh, but do, do start, uh, start preparing people around you, preparing other teachers maybe. Um, and I think it's going to, to pay off long-term. All right, fantastic. Uh, any other recommendations that you would have for uh, either very experienced teachers who have not worked with uh, exam preparation yet, or even those who are starting mm -hmm. now? Like, when do you think would be more interesting to to start working with it? Is is it one level above? Is it really all that it takes? And then it's a matter of you no know, grinding, going after and and learning how how to actually pass it along. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're maybe a, a novice teacher, my recommendation would be uh, do take exams. So uh, take the FCE or take the CAE or, or the CPE, whichever uh, uh, is closer to your, your level of English. Um, I think that gives teachers a sense of achievement and confidence in their English. Uh, when, when you get a certificate with Cambridge, uh, with the Cambridge name on it and, and has your name on it, uh, and that's likely going to get you more confident to start uh, um, preparing other people for, for the exam. And by having prepared yourself, uh, either either on your own or, or with another teacher, um, you, you already have a leg up in terms of technique. So I know how I tackled this part of the exam. I know uh, how I improved my vocabulary to do the exam and, and et cetera. Uh, if you're more ex a more experienced teacher, I would say, why, why not um, do exam preparation? Uh, there's a big market for it. Um, in Sao Paulo, for instance, they're, they're, they can't stop having IELTS dates because there's so many people that don't take the IELTS. Uh, so there's, there's certainly space in the market for teachers who want to, to prepare uh, uh, students for exam. And, and 
like you said at the beginning, the, the reason I like it is because people are motivated. Uh, they, they tend to have big goals and, and kind of dream big. And I enjoy working with these kinds of people. So it's, it's rewarding as well. And when your students achieve what they, they needed, when they get the grade they needed or, or they get the past exam they wanted, they, they're usually so happy and so grateful. And, and that it's kind of selfish, but it makes me feel good about myself. So uh, th th that's why I would recommend people to, to get into it. Well, ac according to, to Phoebe from Friends, there's no such a thing as a selfless deed. So if, if everything that we do is selfish, then it's just all right. That's fair. Yeah, I agree with her. One, one more question. Uh, you mentioned maybe the teacher th that uh, a candidate might be preparing, getting ready uh, on his or her own. Uh, is this what happened to you? Because uh, I, I actually took... Uh, the last exam that I took, it hasn't yeah. been, you know, it's not a, it wasn't a while ago. It was, you know, just a few months back. And I actually was offered the opportunity to, mm -hmm. to sit it and I had two months to prepare. So for obvious reasons, you know, I just grinded and went through it by myself because it was a, a, a very good chance mm -hmm. to, to sit the exam for free. When you took your exams, were you, uh, were you counting on somebody's help or were right. you doing it all by yourself? Uh, no, well, I, I did study a lot. Um, on my own time, but I was I was taking a course, an English course, um, at the same time. So I, I sat for the CAE in 2002, I think, and the CP the following year, so 2003. So it was around 2002, 2004 range, uh, and took one, and then one year later took another. But I was I was uh, I was taking a prep course. My sister and I we, we uh, sat the exams together. Uh, and I was at university uh, during this time. So uh, I used to go to, to Campinas to study. Uh, and whenever I had these uh, uh, kind of gaps in my schedule, I, I would go to the library and, and study for the, the exam. So um, I did study a lot on my own. But if, if somebody's looking to study on their own, what I would recommend is uh, finding uh, good websites such as uh, flowjo.co.uk that has a lot of um, exam preparation stuff for free. And also uh, looking at the, the Cambridge YouTube channel, it's either Cambridge TV or, or Cambridge English TV, something like that, because they have uh, videos of people taking the exams. They have uh, comments from examiners saying uh, why people got certain grades and getting to know the exam and getting to know how things work and seeing people in action is, is important. So do, do use the technology that's available. Uh, um, go to Cambridge's website. They have a lot of free materials as well. Uh, websites such as Flojo and YouTube, because those, those are resources that will help you get there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so I guess that's it. So now onto the last segment of the show. Check it out. So, uh, Ricardo, in Check It Out, I, also, I always invite uh, a guest here on the show to actually uh, recommend something. It might be a book, TV mm -hmm. series, uh, you know, might be a, a music album, whatever okay. it is. So, uh, what have you brought here today? Mm, that's, that's great. Um, so, because we're talking about exams, um, and one of, one of the challenges that exams like the IELTS or the Cambridge um, exams can bring is the British accent 
that uh, uh, an exam like maybe the TOEFL won't, won't offer. We're, we're much more used in Brazil um, to American accents, I think, than British accents. So I'm going to recommend the, the TV series I'm, I've been watching uh, with my wife recently. It's called Shetland. Um, it's, uh, uh, my, my wife and I devour uh, crime TV series. So this one takes place in Scotland and therefore has, has wow. Scottish accents uh, when we watch it. Um, so my recommendation would be look for uh, TV series uh, on Netflix, um, on, on your cable TV, wherever you get your, your TV series from that have British accents. So one, one of my other favorite favorites and one that I recommend to students that are preparing for the exam is Sherlock, um, which is played by, by Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the same as Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe, same actor. Uh, so it's a more modern day kind of adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. And they just have, I mean, the story is very interesting. I find it anyway, but they have brilliant, brilliant British accents. So look, look for a TV series. That's a way of preparing for the exam, but also uh, enjoying yourself. So those would be my two recommendations, Sherlock and Shetland. All right. Fantastic. So, uh, Hikaru, for those who are listening here, uh, where can, can we know more about your work? Uh, it, I, I know uh, you have upcoming courses, right? Yeah. So feel, feel free to share any info about yourself, about your courses. Great. Um, so you, you can find my work uh, on Instagram at Ricardo um, Barros EOT. And you can also find, uh, I have a blog, Ricardo Barros EOT.com. And um, you, you find information about my workshops on, on both of these places. Um, I, I'll be doing lots of workshops at Troika uh, this, this semester. So if you go to Troika's website, you, you'll see some information there too. And particularly in terms of exams, uh, Sergio Pantoja and myself have uh, done a very successful workshop on exam classes, teaching exam classes. And we're going to, to make that available online at the end of September. So if maybe uh, teachers listening to this are interested in getting into uh, teaching exams, that might be a, an interesting course for them. All right. So uh, thank you very much for being here. Ricardo, it's been great. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing you around, maybe even attending one of your courses, these exam preparation classes. Absolutely. Sounds really, really interesting. So thank you very much for being here. Yeah, you're very welcome, Philip. You, you made the dream come true. I, I'm a big podcast fan. And this is my first podcast, so you, you can't... Uh, I'm very happy. Thanks very much. Thank you. See you next time, man. So that wraps up another episode of Teacher Room Talk. It's been a pleasure having you here with us. If you liked it, share, follow us on Instagram, that's at Teacher Room Talk, and see you next time. This is Felipe Machado telling you to keep questioning.